0: There should be microphones for you there. Right, are we good to go here? Right, uh, each person on the panel is just going to take about two minutes to to introduce who they are and a little bit about them. Let's start with uh, Byron on the end there.
1: Hi, I'm Byron. Said we're not going to go in order, but it seems we are going in order. Yes. Um, I grew up in Lantan. um My parents uh, were forcibly removed from District 6, so they ended up, and I grew up in Aftone. um I spent a lot of time in the UK 12 years and came back to say in 2003. So uh, I've got pretty much a heart for South Africa, and it could been a big part of who I am and um, yeah pretty much felt called back for the world to come back to South Africa.
2: i uh, Um, no, uh, um, I'm um, towards 50, so my growth, or my spirit of the token, which to speak to, was, I suppose, gathered by civil schools, which was actually Sikufle, um my friendship so circles are all white I suppose it's my journey from what was like back then
0: to the only one
3: Hi everyone my name is Flo um, my, my name is my and I'm from Mafeking I was born in Mafeking Mafeking is I was previously a Um It was called Zone. Uh, and unlike the major part of South Africa, we didn't experience apartheid very much because we were protected by the apartheid government. Um, but later, after 1994, uh, then, then we all know what happened kind of dissolved and I have had a lot of experience I could um until then or rather you were first work on after the them even though I still pretty little so I only got to experience the
4: My name is Godfrey Myers and uh, I have been part of the church family for more than 35 years. Uh, I was born in 1937, two years before the Second World War broke out and uh, at the time there were only two political parties, that was the United Party of South Africa and the South African Nationalist Party. In 1948, The United Party lost to the uh, Nationalist Party and the first Prime Minister then of the National Party at that time was uh, Dr. Daniel Francois Malan. You all know him, don't you? Now, during his tenure as Prime Minister, he actually enforced and laid the foundation for the apartheid system, the apartheid regime. I lived all my life in South Africa during the entire apartheid years. I grew up uh, in a park, and my first encounter of apartheid was when I was actually around about eight or nine years old. We had a number of white people who actually grew and lived around uh, in the area where I grew up. and. Uh, just opposite us was uh, a white family and they had a small farm and uh, the youngest child, he uh, became he needed me as a friend and so from time to time he would pop over and he would just come and call me, he wouldn't come and play where I play because he was white, I wasn't white and I would go and play there but his parents weren't really happy that he. Then I realized that there is a difference between himself and me. He was white and I was colored. He was a superior race, I was a inferior race. And, I like a, a, an inferior race. and uh, he made it very clearly and known to me that you know what they call the colors in those days? They call them hot Do you remember that? They call them hot nuts, a colored was then called a hot and whenever he had a, a dissension with me, he would call me a hot knot and I would run away crying because I was so inferior because he was superior. I was cl- classified as colored, he was classified as white. And according to the Registration Population Act of 1950, all South Africans had to be classified into one of four racial groups white, whites, blacks, colors, and Indians, and I was classified as a color, and I grew up as a coloured.
0: Thank you for all introducing yourself. Some of you already touched on this next question. What are some of the ways in which your life was affected by Potter? Perhaps some of your earlier memories. Um, how would you say your life was was affected. What are some things that actually stand out? And in fact, you've already alluded to things that maybe you want say. And Dave, you included in this
5: question.
0: Is it likely that you also have to put in other ones? I can see it as a kind of a community accounting.
6: My mother's father was white, and his mother was colored. So I was always having this like little issue with the race. and Being confused, and even when I was young, my th- grandfather met his brothers for the first time after like forty years. They invited him to his seventieth. It was like a surprise. They invited him to his seventieth birthday, and like, he didn't know they were coming. So I was like, what's going on? In, like eighteen seventy-five, July or two thousand like why it's really confusing yeah so for me it was a really confusing time because the stories weren't really told and I was small and so I just didn't understand what was going on why why is this all this emotion around this and so yeah I think that was for me just confusion in general
1: I think probably for me something that isn't maybe a tangible thing is that um, so my parents probably did uh, like one of the speakers said probably a pr- pretty good job trying to shield us from the reality of what, what life was like um, as a person of color um, until we started getting older and started experiencing things ourselves. But I think probably an untangible thing is um, some of the hurts and I think the deep-rooted issues that my parents were affected by and how that affected them in the way they parented me. Um, and I think that was probably something that is maybe unseen, but in a way affected the way they loved, the way they cared, the way they cared, um, and what they had to do to shelter me as a child from a lot of what was happening in our country at the time. I really
4: do wish that I could speak proudly of my parents, my father. And my mother, unfortunately, I grew up as an orphan. My father died when I was 11 months old, and my mother then left us, and we were brought up in foster home, myself and my two sisters. So life was very hard. As a child, we were extremely poor. I can remember when I was at primary school that I uh, didn't have shoes to wear. I walked bare feet to school. and. Uh, I was extremely underprivileged. I didn't grow up with the luxuries that so many children are growing up today. And uh, for me, the apartheid years, that apartheid had a special effect on my life. Uh, I was supported by, we were supported by the, by the Welfare Society. And uh, when you get to the age of 16, then the welfare doesn't support the foster parents you support you uh, any longer and the, the foster parents would get no no money for you and so at the age of 16 i had to leave school and i had to go and work and at that time i had just passed grade 10 and at that time they called the jc you could get the jc certificate and at that time there were jobs open for people who passed and at eight they passed JC. But uh, I had to walk around and look for a job. And at that time, uh, there was job reservation. And remember that uh, Senator de declared, he was the Minister of Labor and of Public Works, and he introduced the bill of job reservation. And only the cream of jobs were left to white people. And so wherever you go, you look for a job, to find a job, Uh, you were told, no, this job is reserved for whites only. You can't get this job. And uh, you don't have a mother or a father or an uncle or or a brother that could sort of get openings for you and have connections for you. And so I had to just find a job for myself because at that time, at the age of 16, I now had to support myself. I had no parents, had nobody to care for me, I now had to care for myself. And I remember I was working in a factory and I so much wanted to have an apprenticeship. I wanted to be an artisan and I was a very gifted woodworker. I know I loved woodwork and I wanted to have an apprenticeship. I wanted to become a cabinet maker, and uh, I had applied for this job and I kept on asking the boss, could you, is there opening? And I saw one by one white people coming in and getting apprenticeship and I was just ignored. And uh, that is the effect that apartheid had and it affected my entire life, my future, my economic situation because here I was, a 16 year old teenager, Having to support myself, there was no one to support me, no one to look after me, no one to care for me, but I had to support myself. But let me say to you one thing. At that age, I accepted the Lord, and the Lord cared for me, and the Lord looked after me, and I belonged to the Lord, and he cared for me. Eventually, I found a job, and I worked very hard. I had to work very hard to prove myself. I, I, I received promotions, and I had to prove myself worthy in being able to do their job and compete with my white competitors. But by the grace of the Lord, he helped me. And that is the effect that apartheid had as far as work and labor was concerned.
0: I'd like us to jump to our question seven panel. And uh, you don't have
4: these questions. Don't
0: bother looking. Just for us. When people today say, look, apartheid ended in 94, why are we talking about apartheid? Why are you bringing it up? Let's just move on. And it's usually white people that say that. Why do you feel that we can't, to use the phrase, just move on?
3: (laughs) Because... Because apartheid is still alive, um, no one has moved on. Uh, the people that have have moved on, I don't know who's moved on, because the psychological effects are still there. Um, the The struggles that that uh, Papa had here are still there. My generation is experiencing them. Um, I've just recently moved from a job, praise God, um, where I did not get two promotions. The opportunity is there, and everyone glorifies the opportunities that young black people or young people have, young people in South Africa have. But... Um they're just opportunities. And in any case so I I um did not get the two promotions. Um because of because of the colour of my skin. So everyone that has moved on was a little further fairer. Fairer. Yeah. Um than me. So It's still alive, so that's why we just can't move on.
0: Thank you. Dave, I can see you reaching to say something. Um,
2: I work in corporate. Um, I'm involved in hiring processes and management discussions. I think to echo the previous conversation is our our offices don't even vaguely resemble... Um, the demographics of South Africa. Um, White male-dominated management board level. Um, It's not unique to Cape Town. I think Johannesburg is very different to Cape Town, but it's still a journey there. I I travelled to Jobeg for work. Um, But certainly in our city, um, just the geographic and demographic nature of our city, uh, the townships on the peripheral of the city the commute um uh, I, I think we've barely even started addressing uh,
1: the, the ravages of apartheid yeah i mean i think if anybody's driven in if anybody says that um i think i always the thing that comes to mind is that i want to put them in the car with me and just drive them like 20ks up the road you know, it's like nobody can say apartheid is over. There's so much it's over but it's not finished. Um, I spend time, I'm involved in a social impact development company and um, I spend a bit of time regularly out in Kailice, um in Langa. So I think um, the challenge, I think, to get past a lot of um, what we're talking about here today is by I think one of the speakers mentioned it earlier um, at the conference. Two men got up and walked and hugged each other, and I think that's what we have to do. We have to physically. We have to move. We have to move outside of where we're comfortable, and it's visible. It's there. I mean, it's there to see. It, it's you know, you you drive in if you've not been to Kailicha, I would encourage you go and take a drive. It's close by. Um, just drive through there, and you will see what still exists not very far from where we all live um, the children on the streets during the day and you can't see an adult anywhere. i mean i was in kalicha um, one week and um, it's a common road that i took in to get to a school we were going to two weeks later i drove down that same road and i thought i was lost because that area looked completely different um, homes had been burnt um, the streets was covered in um, filth and building rubble and tyres had been burnt. And it was like, I, I thought, look, this is like 20 minutes from where I live and I've, there are children playing on those streets. So I think my initial response to people saying that does make me angry. Um, but I actually feel very sorry for people who think that because they're very out of touch of... Um, of the reality of what still exists right on our doorstep
6: Can i answer that I think for me the reason why i feel like a part that's not over is because it's not over inside of me i still struggle a lot with like the feelings of being covered um i think examples are um when i invite friends from my church over to my house i feel guilty because their cars parked outside and i live in retreat that's something i struggle with like i feel bad like something's gonna happen and it's my fault because i invited them over um, I still struggle with my hair. I still get told by my grandma and stuff, like, you straighten your hair, you straighten your ear. It's like, it's not good enough. It's like, if you're going for interview, like straight hair, it's like this that whole mentality. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, I think, yeah, for me, if I, if I go to the shops, if I go to um, ShopRite retreat, I feel comfortable if I'm going to concentrate, Valigia. I feel like I need to look nice. And just like that whole thing inside of me, I feel like apartheid's not over because I'm still struggling to overcome the ways that I feel like I need to show that I'm good enough.
0: Thank you, Estrid.
4: One of the acts that the uh, apartheid parliament actually introduced was the reservation of the Separate Amenities Act. Now, that act meant that uh, you that there were separate schools, there were separate bars, swimming bars, there were separate uh, restaurants, you couldn't go to the same restaurant, there were separate beach facilities, and so on. And uh, whilst there were separate facilities, the facilities that were provided for people who were not white were extremely inferior because the the apartheid government believed that the people who were not white were inferior race and so therefore their amenities, their facilities were absolutely inferior. It was never on the same standard. Even the standard of education in the universities and in the schools were separate because the apartheid government believed that only the whites, they could enjoy superior amenities and other, white, other people had to have inferior facilities. And this had a, a, a tremendous effect. The result was that the education system uh, uh, suffered, And uh, when, for example, uh, they opened the University of the Western Cape, they called it the Bush College, they didn't call it a university. And uh, uh, the colored people, there's certain colored people, didn't want to go to the University of the Western Cape. And you didn't need to have the kind of matric pass to get into the University of the Western Cape as you needed to have when you go to the University of Cape Town, for example, you had to have certain exemptions in Matrix in order to go to University of Cape Town, but you didn't need that. So they call it the university, the Bush College, not the University of the Western Cape. And uh, the feeling was it was an inferior education. So all the facilities that were provided for people who were not white people were inferior. Another example is that education for white people was compulsory and there would be no white child that would be walking the street. That child has to be in school because education was compulsory for the black children. Education was not compulsory, not at all. And so for that matter, there were so many children who were not educated, but white people all educated. They were forced to be educated. But so many black children, they weren't educated because they were poor and they couldn't afford to pay school fees and they couldn't afford uniforms and they couldn't afford books. And this was something that really affected. And, 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 and this itself has, has left uh, the people, other than white people, so far behind and it would take such a long time still. For development and, and and restoration that area to take place.
0: Thank you, Godfrey. Uh, let's bring things now to to talk about the church. Um, how well do you think the church responded to apartheid through the seventies and eighties? Let's start there.
4: Howard, if you don't mind me just. Starting off on this particular subject.
0: You're Um, the only one that was around then, Godfrey, (laughs) on the platform.
4: I have been in the church virtually all my life. I became a Christian when I was 16 years of age, and I was a Baptist all the time. I belonged to the Baptist church all that time. I was involved in National Baptist Union activities. I was at one stage the uh, uh, General Secretary of the South African Baptist Alliance. Now the Baptist Union was divided into associations and the Baptist Union, for example, believed that they should conform to the policy of the country in separate development. So there was the South African Baptist Alliance, which was the colored part of the Baptist Union. There was the Baptist Convention, which was the black part of the Baptist Union. And then there was the regional associations, we were the white part of the Baptist Union. And then there was the Afrikaans Baptiste Kerk, which was the Afrikaans white people of the Baptist Union. Now, in my experience, I've never known our denomination to have ever raised any objection to government or even make any petition known to the government with regard to the policies that were in existence, the apartheid policies. I know. I know that amongst Christians, there were many colored people who would express themselves as as hating the white. I've never ever got to that stage because I didn't believe that one should express yourself and even feel that way. And uh, I feel that the denomination, the Baptist denomination, took a very passive attitude as far as The government policies is concerned. I could go into the Roman Catholic Church here down the road there uh, during the apartheid years, I will will be made welcome. I could go to St. Mark's Anglican Church down the road there in a white area and I'd be made welcome. I would go to a white Baptist Church and I would be looked upon And it would be frowned upon because he has a colored person coming into the white church and uh, that was the sad the sad part of my of my Christian experience in that we have never ever never ever expressed our views expressed our feelings made it known to the government how we felt with regard to the policies of this country I had um, very very shocking information a few years ago when a member of this church shared with me something very confidential and this lady told me that she was at one stage she was the private secretary of one of the presidents of the baptist union and she was instructed by the by by the president of the baptist union to type a letter to the president to the to 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 the prime minister of this country P W Bueta, in which he had to state which he stated in the letter that the baptist union the the baptist people of south africa believe in uh, obeying the government in accordance to the word of god and uh, that we are uh, uh, in alignment with the policies of separate development and uh, therefore we want to keep the good relationship with the with a with a country and with the with a with the government of this country now that was really shocking to me and uh, it, it, it was hurtful and, and I felt that it was very sad to think that we as a denomination we never express our views we never felt that we should we should because what we actually believe was that the bible says that uh, we should obey those who have the rule over us and uh, we should we should abide by the government uh, laws and uh, that we should confine ourselves to spiritual things and not to political things we shouldn't get involved in political issues we should confine ourselves to the spiritual issues so that was my view
0: anyone else want to weigh in on that before i move to the next question i think godfrey summed it up rather well <laughs> a dismal failure on the side of the church um, let's talk now what are some things that white people inadvertently do that people of other races find offensive, confusing, hurtful to you? (laughs)
3: Um, Not greeting other people, especially those that are not of um, your color. It might be it might seem like a simple thing and perhaps because um, in in non-white cultures um, it's imprinted upon you to be respectful and just greet. Like you don't have to ask me, how am I, just say hi, hello, bye, like it's okay. <laughs> um, that's one of them. I'll weigh in as the other speaker. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, one of the other things is when when somebody else says their name, especially if it's um, difficult. It's it's very. I don't know what the word is, but like if I'm going to say, I'll make an example. If I'm going to say, um, I'm Shivonsky or whatever. Okay, it's like a Swiss name or something. Um, some uh, a a non african person will probably like be interested to want to learn the name but if i'm going to say my name is Kakamba it's going to be the first reaction is oh my god how my like wow can you give me another name do you have a, what's the short version of your name um that's Disrespectful. Uh, I have, I use flow because I'm not trying to deal with that. My name is simple. (laughs) My Tzana name is very simple, but um, I've experienced that. So that's not nice.
0: So that's very interesting if I can pick up on that you've compromised your personal identity to make life easier for other people. That's quite something.
1: Why? What's very hurtful for me is that white people make casistas and they like those little twisty <laughs> things. But that's not actually a casista. That's very hurtful. Proper colored casistas are the Cape Malay casistas with coconut on. <laughs> Thank you. So please stop calling them for sisters.
6: Um, for me, on a more serious note, um, I think for me, my accent is something that, can, that gets made fun of. I remember going on my very first mission, tri- mission trip on this church and some of the, the youth were like, and I was like really confused. <laughs> like just because I'm colored, they started addressing me differently. When I started to speak, they started to repeat what I was saying and laugh. So I, I didn't understand that at all. Like, why is, why is my accent funny? And um, if I speak Afrikaans, also people think it's really funny because it's not, like, I don't know, Afrikaans or whatever they call it. So I think for me, that's really offensive. So I think, I don't know if it's a, a more younger generation thing, but that's offensive. And then I think I get quite self-conscious. So um, if you come to the 6 p.m., you'll know I lead worship. But I actually really struggle to speak Sometimes I feel like I need to like pronounce my R's like or something because I'm not understandable. Like you guys laugh, but it's serious. Like I stand there getting nervous because people won't understand me. And my experience is that people in this church have laughed at me when I speak. So it's like, I don't like that.
0: Let's zone in now. What have each of you done to kind of address the pain and the hurts that you've experienced, I mean, you've you've made reference to some of those hurts tonight, and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, that was one of the rules for being on the panel. Um, we heard tonight how the, the Dudleys had a flag ceremony where that served as a, a focal point of, of dealing with hurt, and I'm sure they've had to continue to do that, but how have you, Godfrey, and, and others, Really try to process what you've been through so that you don't go through life resentful with a chip on your shoulder with a sense of of anger.
4: Well, I must admit that I had never held any individual responsible for what I had gone through unless that person had a personal influence on my life. And um, I have never felt, as I said, any hatred towards anybody. And when I came to this church uh, some 30-odd years ago, there were only actually three families of color in this church. And I was invited to come to this church by a, a very good friend of mine, some of you may know him his name is Neville Riley he's passed on now and uh, he invited me to come to the church because we had a a good relationship and uh, I was most reluctant to come and I said to him Neville this is a white church and I don't want to go to a white church he said man just come along and just come and find out for yourself and I came along here and I felt welcome here honestly I felt welcomed here Uh, I felt that there was a a real family but there were still certain individuals who had kind of reserve and I I don't blame people. I didn't blame people because uh, we were living in that particular apartheid era and and that is how it went. Uh, But uh, I, I felt welcome and that was the thing that actually made me feel completely different towards white people. Uh, I would be invited to some of some of the homes of the folk here in the church there. I would invite people to my home, and we have a fellowship together. And uh, in that way, I was able, perhaps what I had, uh, had in my heart as hurt and, and, and bad feelings, to overcome that feelings and to say, you know, people of, of of who are white are not all responsible for what's happening. They they are enjoying the privileges, they are enjoying all the benefits of the apartheid uh, system, and uh, I can't blame them. They taking advantage of that, but uh, the point is, as I, I, I just had to say that they my brothers and sisters and 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 i had to just overcome by the grace and help of the lord these hurts and feelings that i had
1: so as one of the speakers said earlier they had a ceremony um, uh, around around the new flag Um, lots of my memories growing up were really good um, and really wholesome and i had lots of very good friends, and we used to perform a ceremony probably most Saturday nights, which most colored guys will know, and ladies, around a Gatsby. See, Trevor knows. Um, so those who don't know, I will encourage you. Go to Weinberg, a cozy corner, order yourself a full house. Ask for Natasha. <laughs> Teller Biden sent you. Um, so there was lots of healing around Gatsby's. Um, but also, I think, to bring the, the spiritual side to it, for me, it's been a journey in terms of, um, Edwina will probably tell you, but in terms of finding my identity in Christ. Um, and I think if you can go to God um, and you can get Him to tell you how He sees you, um, that is probably the best way to understand How to start the process of healing because God sees all of us the same God's made us all he knew doesn't matter what color we all are he made us all that's what his word says so we were not born knowing how to treat people the way we treat people we get taught that Um, and yeah apartheid was an evil thing it still is an evil thing and it still exists It's still alive but I think it's in all of us to take those steps and actually move outside of what's comfortable for us. And actually go to Cozy Corner in Weinberg and go and buy a Cousy um, So yeah, for me, yeah, a real one. Um, but for me, it's been very much finding my identity in Christ. And that's been a journey. But I think if you know who God's called you to be and how God sees you, um, there can be no confusion about how anybody else sees you. Dave?
2: I would maybe reframe the question for me specifically. It wasn't so much about the pain of apartheid, or, you know, my journey to now, but um, the truth, what am I doing now to, to answer that, or, or what have I done to help me along my journey? I think just in growing up with white friends, white school colleagues, and even white work colleagues. My first job was in Fisher. It wasn't particularly diverse down there. Um, actually, my first f- friend that's a person of colour, like a genuine friend, where we visited each other's home, was actually responsible for me coming to marriage at the time, was Neil, um, Brenda's son. Um, but, you know, as the awareness starts growing, for me it's been a whole lot of little things it's the intentional about making friends that are different to me reading books by people who are different to me reading the newspaper awareness of what really happened in apartheid um awareness of people's stories and to quote rick the chapters of their stories now um it's each little steps and i I think to echo byron it's it's i believe that's that's my walk as a Christian. Um, it's God working in me that's that's moved me from a space of complete unawareness of apartheid and the ra- what, what it did to our country to a journey that I want at the moment. And let me be quite clear, it's a journey that's, that's still got to continue.
3: Um, can I just go back to one of the other questions sure, sure. Um, that you asked? So Howard asked um, what are the other things that people that are not of color do that uh, that are not right? Uh, contrary to popular belief, you are well spoken is not a compliment. Um, I think. Explain that. Okay. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of. Um, heard and and all of that from generations like next to me, and um, I think Auntie Brenda also touched on it a little bit, but um, our great our great grandparents our, our grandparents my grandparents um, i've even heard from like neighbors and different people or the older generation are very Um, scared and disappointed at the rate in which um, our generation and even the ones younger are losing their identity. You've heard one of the examples. Um, And in that is also not being able to speak um, their languages properly because they're embracing English um and all the other languages that are not african um and the culture you know and and i know like it's it's a very complex um topic especially when it comes to christianity and the african culture um but i'll just stick to language um it's very yeah it's a it's a great concern and and um it's also another great concern and very touchy subject to um when when people of color see a white family that adopts a child of color because um the concern is do you know their background are you going to teach them who they really are where they come from, will they know, will you know how to take care of them? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. Thank you amazing. for
0: raising those issues. They're very complex ones. Um, thank you. Um, as we begin to wrap things up now, are we on the right track as Connect Church? I'm not talking about these meetings because these are
1: just blips. that's another um, question for Godfrey.
0: Let's. We need to do what the Sanhedrin did. They always made decisions and the younger person would speak first and the older, wiser one last. So uh, we'll give Godfrey the last word. But do do you feel as a church we're actually on the right track, albeit not nearly as far down the track as we should be, and maybe we're a little spread out down the track, but are we on the right track, and what can we do to get where we're going faster?
1: So I didn't even know there is a (laughs) track, firstly, Uh, but uh, (laughs) um, I don't know why I've chosen to ask this question first. I think, I think the best way to answer this is by an example. So we have, there are times in our church where we are, as a church, this building is packed. And there are lots of new faces in this church. And those times are like Easter, Christmas, you know, big celebrations. Um... And actually there's two points I'd like to make. I think at those times, um, Christmas last year, um, there was a colored family that was sitting behind me. I've never seen them before. And they came to the church and I, um, I chatted to them at Christmas time. But it was quite funny because the, the dad was actually snoring very loud. I don't know who was preaching. <laughs> um, must have been John. But the point I'd like to make is that I chatted to them after church, and I've never seen them before, but nobody else did. Now, that speaks to me in volumes. Um, I think it's very hard. I think we've heard lots of people of color that have come to this church many years ago. I think people of color that come to this church now still find that they are crossing an invisible Boundary they're coming into a space where they are a minority and I think what we can do is welcome them a Bit better than what we currently do Um, And I think that's a challenge for everyone. That's an easy thing to do. It doesn't involve Moving or walking they coming here, so it's an easy thing to do Um, And I think the second thing is what I've said probably a few times is actually physically moving moving outside of this space I think I've heard so many times in this church where people um, have an opinion that rests on either the eldership or the pastors about why things are not happening or did they communicate certain things. It's not always their responsibility. It's ours. Like, we are the church. And if we don't get up and actually physically move and influence our church and the people in our church and go and find the people outside of our church and bring them to our church, then it's not the response. We're falling down before we've even started if we're expecting you know people that are running the church to be picking up that mantle and running with that themselves and for them to come up with all the ideas. We need to get involved. And we also need to ask, what can we do? We can't be sitting here when we have, and maybe this helps the next AGM, you know, sit in an AGM and people start asking questions about, as if we're all shareholders. We're shareholders to God's kingdom. We're not shareholders to Connect Church. Um, And I think that's probably a challenge for me, and it does frustrate me sometimes because I think we're all part of a church, but we're all part of God's church. Um, And I think the challenge is, Not to expect that, um, and not ask the question, who will do it, but sometimes we need to do it. Thank you.
0: That was quite a good answer. It was. It was. (laughs) Astrid, are we on the right track?
6: Sometimes no. <laughs> I think uh, I see. A, I think for me, the culture feels like it's not my culture, or does my culture f- can my culture go with this culture? So in that sense, no. Like, can I sing my songs, or can I speak, or just anything? Like, can like what food are we making after the six p.m.? Like, do, do my the things of my culture belong here? Can it fit in? And so in that sense, I don't. So I always feel like welcome. Like it's a, it's always new information. It's, new things that, that I'm saying it's in, like new recipes and new ideas when it comes to things of my culture it's not like oh I know about that, I've heard about that so in a sense I think those conversations still need to happen, those connections still need to be made because that information is still new for a lot of people um, yeah
0: thank you, thanks Dave
2: I'm not sure this is my way to answer
0: <laughs> well, we're, okay, alright, pause
3: um I think, I think yes, because of this conversation. In fact, when I, when, when I came to the last um, conversation, you and me conversation that happened, I was surprised that the church was packed. And I, I was wondering what people that are not of color want to know and what do they want to do? with the information that they're getting from from an event and a conversation like this. So yes, I think um, I think you, the church isn't, this connect church is in the right direction. Um, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot more barriers to, to break down, but I think that if, like he said, if we all do it, and it's not only up to leadership of the church then we definitely will probably get there faster Um, and I I think that it would be okay to be aggressive (laughs) in implementing that change and I'm not trying to say radical change but hint hint Um, (laughs) but um, also another thing when I when I went to so I go to Musenberg Church and when I went there, I felt very welcomed, and um, that's a reiteration that, yes, we are.
4: I I think there is a track, but there is a train on that track, (laughs) and we are in that train, and we have started the journey, and I'm afraid the journey is a little going, a little bit slow. And uh, we need to speed up that journey. And what I feel is the problem that we really have is the problem of accepting one another's cultures. We don't ask people to change their culture to the culture of someone else. We simply ask people to accept other people's culture, to accommodate white people must accept The culture of colored people and black people, and black people must learn to accept the culture of white people, whatever it might be. And by doing that, we will build relationship, and that is the problem. Relationship is the big problem. It is the building of relationship that is needed, and true relationship that is based on love according to the word of God. And that is what we need to do And uh, we need then to get to a stage where we will find people being more positioned or being in positions, uh, uh, people of different cultures and different racial groups being in leadership positions in this church. You know, I've been on the leadership of this church for more than 18 years. And there was a time that I was the only person of color in the deacons there was i was the only person of color on the uh, eldership and i must tell you that there were times that there were i was extremely uncomfortable i just felt look i don't really belong here these are all white people white men sitting around this table i don't belong there i i, I felt if i had another person with me of color I would have been more comfortable and there were many times that I got to a stage where I felt look I think I should just get out of this I should just resign I don't really belong here but I felt that that is a calling of the Lord the Lord has placed me there and I need to be there and 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 we need to learn maybe uh, I got to a stage where I was in a place where I couldn't really come to grips with the culture with a different culture my culture being somewhat different you know I couldn't come to grips with the culture and as I said the problem is we need to build relationship and relationships can be built in a a, a, in in a multiracial or a non-racial church where we learn to accept one another's culture we don't just accommodate one another we accept one another's cultures in order to build stronger relationships
0: thank you godfrey well that's the end of our our panel i want to thank you all for bearing your hearts today and for sharing very personally and being open about what you've shared so thank you to the panel and on behalf of the church leadership i want to thank all of you for coming tonight because your presence here actually means a great deal And if tonight hadn't have been well attended, it would have actually sent out a very poor message. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being on this train. And uh, we hope no one's going to be getting off the train, but that we can pack this train. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, pray with me, and then we through. John, will you lead us, please?
5: Let's just um, stand together. I think there is a good way to express our unity physically. Maybe we should do that uh, as we pray. You know what that means? Let's do that. So we want to pray together, Lord. Lord, um, we ask you for grace to do this stuff. We ask you for the courage that we need. Lord, when we feel fearful or we feel out of our depth, we pray that you give us the courage. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we'll have stickability. Lord, too, Lord, when it gets a bit messy, that love will triumph um, and perseverance will help us to push through. And most of all, Lord, we do want to pray because it's been said over and over again that that we may be a community of people that the world will look at and know that we're actually your disciples. Um, Because that, at the end of the day, Lord, is the passion of our hearts, that really we would not just talk about being your disciples, um, but, Lord, that we'd be able to demonstrate. So we are asking, Lord, for your enabling, for the moving of the Spirit in such a way, Lord, we won't try and do things in our own strength, but through the enabling of the Spirit of the Lord. And so we say, Holy Spirit, come amongst us afresh. Will you move amongst us as your people? And God, will you transform us into the likeness of Jesus? And we pray that in his name. Amen.